Welcome to Parenting Teens with Dr. Cam, a podcast about navigating adolescence without losing our minds. Each week, I guide you around the teenage landmines with practical tips, simple solutions, and words of encouragement. I'm your host, Dr. Cam. Let's get on with the show. There we go. So hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Parenting Teens with Dr. Cam. I'm your host, Dr. Cam, and today I have with me Ross Zabo, the Wellness Director at Geffen Academy at UCLA and the CEO of the Human Power Project. As an award-winning pioneer of the youth mental health movement, Ross is actively changing the way communities learn about mental health. During his eight years as director of outreach at the National Mental Health Awareness Campaign, he helped create the first youth mental health speakers bureau in the country and personally spoke to over 1 million people. He's also the author of Behind Happy Faces, Taking Charge of Your Mental Health and a kid's book about anxiety. Welcome, Ross. I am so happy to have you here. So great to be here. Thanks for, uh, thanks for bringing me in. Yeah. So let's start with you. What is what is your story and how did you get started on talking about mental health? So great to be here. Yeah. I often joke with people like you don't necessarily choose to become a mental health advocate. It kind of chooses you. Yeah. Uh, you know, I had a really difficult uh, kind of teenage life. I went through a lot of trauma between ages 11 and 12. And then I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder mm. when I was 16. Uh, when I was 17 and a senior in high school, uh, I was hospitalized for attempting to take my own life. And at the time, I wasn't like on anyone's radar. I was president of my class on a varsity basketball player and like involved in the huge extracurricular activities. I, I had a huge external life that everybody saw and an internal life that was just filled with depression and self-hatred. Mm. Um, you know, it was hospitalized got out of the hospital, graduated from high school, went to college for two months, had a major relapse with bipolar disorder, had to go home. And then it was just really trying different colleges, uh, different treatments, different hospitals for like the next four years as I battled extreme substance abuse. And then uh, went back to college again when I was 22 and uh, finished and went into the fancy advocacy career that you talked about. But I really did start telling my story at 17 uh, because I was upset with how much lack of understanding and lack of education there was about mental health. And then from there, I have always just kind of looked at like what's missing. So originally back in the early 2000s, there were no large scale assemblies for mental health. And so my work with the National Mental Health Awareness Campaign was to create full school assemblies, middle schools, high schools, colleges, Greek weeks, freshman orientations around mental health. And then what I realized in around 2013 was that what was missing was now we had all this awareness, but we didn't actually have a curriculum. So I developed a, a curriculum for people to learn about their mental health, like they would learn about their physical health. Right. And then in 2016, I was asked, uh, what would I do if I got to start my own school? And I said, if I got to start my own school, kids would have a class where they learn about their mental health once a week. Mm. And it would happen every week from grade six through 12. And so at, at Geffen Academy at UCLA, we have a class, students learn about their mental health once a week. Awesome. And uh, this year we have our first graduating class, uh, our seniors, 
And uh, we just we just did some data with them to see what they learned over those four years. And the, the bottom line is the program works. Oh, that's fantastic. So what are some of the key things that you want to teach during this curriculum, in this curriculum? And it's the Happy Faces, Behind Happy Faces curriculum. So I have a company, Human Power Project, that has Behind Happy Faces mental health curriculum at my school because we teach it once a week for seven years mm. it is not just that curriculum yeah that's, many other... that'd be a very um, large curriculum yeah. <laughs> so, so you know like the key things for the school for for people to learn at my school are that mental health is like physical health and you can work on it just like you do your physical health and you actually have to mm-hmm. um, you know when you want to work on your physical health you exercise you eat right you check your family history you take care of your body if you want to work on your mental health, though, it's not just as simple as like coping mechanisms. You have to find healthy relationships. As adolescents go through the teenagers, they have to understand their sexuality. Um, obviously, they do have to have a mental health vocabulary. They do have to have coping skills. They do have to have a lot of other aspects of their life in place. But the, the main goal is like, hey, let's just normalize mental health. Let's take the stigma out of it. Let's have conversations about it. And let's help you build skills towards your future. And, and I do that in the, the Behind Happy Faces curriculum, but we can do it a lot more in depth at my school. I love that. And so what are some of your obstacles that you're finding are the biggest obstacles to really normalizing this idea of mental health? So what's interesting, and, and uh, we're actually at UCLA this summer, we're doing a mental health teacher training institute of how to teach other teachers how to do what we do. Uh, you know, one of the biggest barriers I've seen is when we start this curriculum with ninth graders, a lot of their defense mechanisms, a lot of their coping mechanisms, a lot of their other things are re- already in place. Mm-hmm. And we kind of spend the high school time undoing those to teach them. And so in a classroom, the most important obstacle is trust. Mm. I think the mental health community thinks oh, well, if kids just had a class about mental health, it would like magically fix everything. Right. But that it's not as easy as that because it's not like you're going into a classroom and force, you're, you're forcing kids to have a conversation about mental health and they're not always receptive to it. Mm-hmm. So one thing I did find on pretty early is that the students don't have to necessarily trust each other, but they do have to trust the teacher. Mm-hmm. They do have to believe the teacher. And part of our training this summer is going to be to teach teachers how to responsibly use their personal story. Mm. What benefited our program, I think, the most is that I had trained over 50 speakers of how to use their personal story responsibly, how to have vulnerability with boundaries, and uh, not center yourself in the conversation. And so throughout their high school experience, anytime they needed a real-life example, well, they had somebody who has a long history with severe mental health disorders who could speak to them about it. And that that normalized it because now, okay, well, this teacher seems okay. I kind of like him and he has a severe mental health disorder, uh, but he doesn't, he's not like acting in the stereotypical ways. And so I actually think one of the biggest obstacles is trust. Mm, Kids have been through a lot and if you don't develop that trust, I, I don't know that they, the education can happen in the same way. 
Yeah, agreed. And so we're, we're talking to parents too. And how do we have these discussions and open up this discussion and start normalizing it within our own family and with our kids? Yeah. So a couple of things. One, I remember being 26, 25. And I asked my parents, Hey, did anyone else in our family have like a mental health issue? And then like, I'm not even exaggerating, like 25 minutes later, uh, they finished explaining <laughs> like, well, your grandparents had You're like, and I didn't know this. Yeah. And I think it was an interesting moment for my parents because I think when you are parents, you're just trying to get through the day, you know? You're just like, how do we get from waking up to yeah. going to bed <laughs> um, and you forget that like the strong biological history in their brains that you know like my parents did the best they could there they they didn't know how to parent in a lot of ways mainly because their parents didn't parent mm -hmm. and no one knew how to deal with the biological issues of mental health so I always tell parents know your family history if you know that there is a large family history of anxiety or, or whatever it is, you have to start looking for those signs in your kids, but you also have to talk to your kids. Like it, what's fascinating to me is we live in a society right now where people are getting preventative mastectomies because they know that there's such a strong family history of breast cancer that like they'll preventatively be like, I don't want to mess with this. We do that with prostate cancer too. I have friends who every male in their family had prostate cancer. So like, even before it's necessary, they're proactively being like, I got to get this checked out. I don't want it to happen. Mm -hmm. We need to do a similar thing with mental health, where if you know in your family, there's a certain kind of coping mechanism, substance abuse, whatever it is, you start preparing your kid to be like, hey, just a heads up. You may not want to start drinking at 12 because three of your grandparents were alcoholics. Yeah. Like that could have been helpful information for me to know. Yeah. Would it have stopped me? Maybe not, <laughs> but at least like we're having that conversation. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so that's, that's one step. Uh, another step is to model the behavior you want to see. Mm. So like what tends to, to happen in families is we get so worried about what our kids are doing that we tell them they need to cope a certain way or they need to approach something a certain way or they need to do this thing, but you're not necessarily showing them how. Mm -hmm. um, and, and people always worry, if, is that a slippery slope? Like if I share with my kid what I did when I was their age, like, are they just gonna do the same thing? And the reality is like an honest conversation is, is gonna be much better than hiding. And if you want your kids to be active, take them out and walk with them. Mm -hmm. Take them out and hike with them. But sitting at home and being like, you need to be active, you need to do these things. If you're not doing them with them, makes it a lot harder to normalize it uh, for them. And then the other thing is like, just always comparing mental health to physical health. Like, mm -hmm. like I said, from the beginning of this, the brain is a part of the body. The ways that we address our mental health are different, but like, very few kids, and there are some, would uh, refuse treatment for like a broken leg. Um, and right. so it's got to be comparing the brain to other parts of the body and, and how do we take care of it? 
That is such a great way to look at it because it is, it's something you need to feed correctly. You need to give it the right exercise, right? All of these things it's developing. Um, I feel like though, there's so much fear and you kind of hinted it or talked about this too. There's so much fear, particularly with parents. Um, like when you're talking about the family history and sharing these things, I think a lot of parents know this information and they become very concerned and very kind of, um, protective of those areas. And I don't know if that in itself could cause some issues as well. If you're over, can you be overly fearful or overly protective in these ways? Yeah, I think that there's just a lot of fear in older generations to talk about mental health at all, right? Yeah. Um, I think though, the more you hide anything, the, the higher risk you run of it coming out sideways. I don't think my parents hid that there were many family members in my family with either addiction or severe mental health disorders, I think that they weren't comfortable talking about it in general mm -hmm. because it forced them to analyze what it did to their childhoods. You know, my dad uh, grew up with a, a classic 1950s alcoholic father. My dad wasn't hugged. He wasn't told he was loved. He wasn't touched. He didn't have friends come to that the house he saw you know as a child saw physical abuse and violence like and you know, my dad didn't really come to that understanding until after his dad died someone sent him a like a sympathy card but in the card wrote like you know your dad was a a pretty tough guy and I don't know if you miss him or if uh this is a release for you but I wanted to let you know like I care and I remember my dad reading that card and coming back to me and being like, I guess I did have a really difficult childhood. Wow. So, wow. So, I think, so, so I think sometimes as parents, we aren't willing to necessarily look at the family history because it brings up so many emotions for us. And the reality around that is you can't be as effective as a parent if you're not facing mm -hmm. The reality of your past it's, it's hard to be present with what your kids need if you're not fully aware of like hey this is also what shaped my life mm -hmm. um, those moments were huge growth points for my dad those moments helped my dad be more vulnerable and open and like understanding of his own coping mechanisms and and what we were doing uh so you know i think it's an important element to examine your past because your past is your largest driver of your present and your future. Yeah, absolutely. And so let's talk a little bit too on the the current situation with mental health and it's it's been increasing, right? Or decreasing, I guess is the right word to say, right? The mental state of mental health. Um what do you feel in your mind or from your experience is contributing to that? decline. So there's a couple things that, I mean, there's a couple things. I think number one, uh, we are in a digital age of communication and, you know, there's a researcher at UCLA, her name's Marianne Wolf, and she's tracked like, what did the advent of language do for humans? What did the advent of deep reading do for humans? And now what is the, the advent of, uh, the digital age doing? And we do know that the digital age is creating more anxiety just mm -hmm. because like, you have a phone, you have access to news, you are inundated by screens, like all this other stuff. So there has been a shift in human, in the evolution of human communication that we can't ignore. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And then at the same time that that evolution was happening, mental health awareness between 2000 and 2020, like exploded. And so uh, people are much more aware of terminology, but I think one of the most damaging things in that is that we don't have a strong vocabulary for mental health. And so part of me believes the reason we're seeing so many people having anxiety disorders is in in some ways we've replaced the word nervous with anxiety. Yeah. Nervousness is something that lasts a short amount of time and goes away. Everybody has it. Anxiety is an uncontrollable feeling that builds and builds and may may lead to panic attacks and feeling like you're going to die and things like that. And if we're just replacing the word nervous with anxiety, well, like, we're not using the right vocabulary. Mm -hmm. And I think the other thing that's happening is we're doing that with a lot of issues. Mm -hmm. We've replaced the word sad. We're feeling depressed with, with depression. Oh, you have depression. No, that person had a bad day. Mm -hmm. That is not depression. Mm -hmm. Oh, you have depression. No, they went through a breakup. That doesn't necessarily mean you have depression. Right. Um, And so I, I do think um, we have seen a shift in society we have seen a shift in awareness, but we have not seen the shift of coping skills and vocabulary that we need to go with those shifts. And so things are confusing for, for people of all ages. Um, and, and then what you're seeing is more people today now are willing to seek help, but they're still not willing to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like I do, I do a lot of corporate presentations too. And like, corporations will see that the number one thing their employees are using is antidepressants or like psychiatric medication, but no one in that workplace knows someone else on medication. So like, right. it's not talked about. Yeah. So I think those are the, the biggest contributors. Yeah. I, I feel like there has been an enormous change in that. And I always, I remember living in LA a bazillion years ago and all of a sudden everyone had a therapist. It was like, who's your therapist? And I was like, what is this? Cause I came from the East coast. Nobody had a therapist, at least that you talked of. And now it was like, oh, let's share names of therapists. You know, what was in your therapy session? And I feel like that's kind of expanding, but there's this still this sense of if you have to seek help, there's something wrong with you. And so that's why we don't like to talk about it. And, you know, how do we address that concern, that stigma with it and, you know, start, how are you starting to overcome that stigma? Well, again, I think it's sharing your story. I think that is a a really important piece. I learned at a really young age that if you share your story, it opens other people to feeling safe enough to share their stories. I, and I think like, um, finding comfort in that is, is powerful. Stories connect us. Stories uh, make us stronger. And so I, I do think that's like a, a first kind of first yeah. step. I think the other thing though, too, is just education. You know, when we have health issues happen to us that are physical health, we tend to like, and I'm guilty of this too, search it on the internet before we even go to the doctor. Yeah. Like the amount of times I've said to my wife, I don't need to go to the doctor. It's this thing. She's like, go to the doctor. What is wrong? <laughs> right. Um it's pretty high. And so uh, we don't do the same thing with mental health. We just don't. And if we have issues or problems, there might be like the late night search, but we're not going to follow up on it. Uh, We're not going to die. Some people do diagnose themselves, but like there's not that same interest level in what's going 
working on. Part of that comes from denial. And part of that comes from, again, just like, well, I just want to get through the day here. So even if I know I do have these symptoms, I'm not going to do anything with them. Um, you know, so I think it's a mix of that. Like, can you get comfortable sharing your story? Can you get comfortable uh, after the Google search <laughs> following up on, on those symptoms? So we're, let's say we're a parent and we've done a Google search on our kids and we're now like concerned about what's going on. How do we start addressing some issues or how do we know, despite the Google search, how do we know if it's something actually really serious that we need to go get serious help with, or if it's sadness and nervousness and things like that? Like, how do we distinguish the two? Yeah. So these are two very separate questions. The, the first question is, let's say you, you, you realize your kid needs help. Well, you know, I, I always say that like, it's, it's really hard to talk about mental health when you live in a society that has so many systems that don't support it. Mm -hmm. um, like we say like, oh, you need to take care of your mental health, but like there's so many systems in our society that don't support that. And one of them is the insurance industry. And so like, if you're a parent watching this, you might see that your kid's in dire need of help, but insurance doesn't cover it. You can't afford it. Or you live in an area where you can't even find a mental health professional. And that's a really scary place to be because mm -hmm. I know people with like the most resources in the world who can't get their kids help. And um, the first step in that situation is going to be actually researching what's available in your area, mm -hmm. what you can afford and what you can do. And unfortunately for a lot of people, that's like the first and most frustrating step where they're like, oh my gosh, even if I have millions of dollars, I can't get this kid help. Yeah. Um, so we do have to acknowledge that. Like we do have to acknowledge that it's not as easy as as it sounds and and that is really difficult for for parents and um you know i i think that's a challenge and then the the second part of the like what do you do to determine if it's sadness or other things like that we can't have a conversation about parenting without acknowledging the fact that the manipulation of children to get what they need from parents starts from the second they're born <laughs> And it continues through the rest of their lives. I mean, at some point, hopefully in their 20s, they just become honest about like what they want from you. But up until that point, it is a game of manipulation and boundaries um, that that starts as soon as the kid's like a toddler and can cry until they get what they want or like, right. you know what I mean? And so uh, the way to tell if your kid isn't doing well is, if they have symptoms that stop them from doing what they typically do. Mm -hmm. So like a bad day is a bad day. But if you see a duration of time where your child no longer hangs out with their friends, no longer wants to go to school, no, no longer does whatever they were doing in school, no longer seeks out extracurricular activities, stops playing Xbox, like whatever it is that they typically do for a duration of time, that's where, uh, that's where you should be alarmed. Yeah. Going over all of the symptoms <clears throat> of every disorder is not nearly as important as watching for change in behavior. And when you see the change in behavior, it's checking in with them to be like, hey, uh, you know, why don't, why aren't you doing this anymore? Like what's going on? Now, if it is just a bad day or if it is just someone was mean to them or if it is something like that, like, well, that's a different, 
cause for concern. If if it is like you see that they are experiencing clear symptoms of a mental health disorder, then the the steps are to kind of help them build those skills to address it. Mm-hmm. And that's where boundaries and other things come into play. Like the hardest line a parent has to walk is the line between enabling and empowering. Yeah. Enabling behavior would be like, oh, well, you have this thing. I'm going to do everything for you. And that kid may not learn the skills they need to come out of it. But the empowering piece could push them so hard that they hate you and then don't actually engage with their mental health at all. And the line, the dividing line between enabling and empowering is so massive and so different for every person. We can't sit on a Facebook live with a couple minutes and say like, just do this or just do this. Right. So I think the, just understanding the awareness of, okay, I do have to enable them, empower them in some ways. I can't just enable them, but you also don't want to lose your kid. Right. So it's hard. That is really hard. So is there anything else that we haven't talked about that you feel like parents need to know <laughs> about you know, the, the a other million pe- things, right? But <laughs> I think the other easy piece is if you do know that there are mental health disorders in your family, read books about it, uh, read, you know, valuable websites about it, educate yourself on it so that you do know the warning signs, you do know what to look Mm -hmm. for, uh, and you are more prepared. You would do the same thing if there was a physical health issue in your family. So make sure you do that with mental health uh, because it does make a big difference. That's great. Um, I would love to hear more about how people can work with you or reach out from reach out to you or learn from you. Yeah, sure. Uh, my website is just uh, rossazabo.com. Um, oh, my name is spelled this way on Zoom, so it actually works out well. Um, my, <laughs> oh, did, uh, I pron- did I put the pronunciation in there? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> my, um, my uh, company's website is humanpowerproject.com. And then the name of my school uh, is Geffen Academy at UCLA. And again, this summer, uh, as a part of Geffen Academy at UCLA, we are going to be hosting a, a teacher training. So if you are a teacher, if you know any teachers and you want to uh, have them learn about how to implement a mental health curriculum in their school, mm-hmm. that is uh, a great place to start. That really is. How, how about homeschoolers? Is there any way for them to access your curriculum? Yeah, through my uh, company, for sure. Um, and there are people who use it at home. Uh, and, you know, it's a, it's a really good way to normalize mental health in the home. Um, mm-hmm. Because you're, you know, you a lot of times people love outside, uh, outside kind of experts saying what you need to be saying at home. Um, and that's true at schools too. Like, I will go to schools where counselors have been telling kids to seek help for four years <laughs> yeah. and I come in an assembly and I'm like, seek help. And the kids are like, oh, okay. He, yeah. He <laughs> said we could seek help. And yeah. the counselor's like, I know it's kind of like the parents where you're like, I've been telling my kid that for 10 years. And now you say it once and they're like, mom, did you know this? And you're like, uh, yeah, I've been telling you that for 10 years. So I'm so glad you finally learned it. That's wonderful. <laughs> but it is, it is a similar thing with homeschooling. Like, so like if you bring in behind happy faces in the homeschooling, the kids will be like, oh, look, look, they said this thing that you have never told me. Right. 
<laughs> other than like every day, but yeah, exactly. And just hearing it from other people too, I think is, is really important because you kind of hear it in a different way. Yeah. So Ross, thank you so much for joining us. I really, really appreciate it. And any parting words of wisdom and encouragement for parents with teenagers before we go? Yeah, just don't give up. I mean, I know you, you won't, but um, just don't give up trying. I think parenting teenagers is a probably the biggest act of patience you can have in your life. Right. And um, know that like the more persistent you are, the more consistent you are, the more you believe in what you're telling them, it does get through. It may not get through right away. It may not get through in the timeline you hope, but uh, don't give up, keep trying. And most importantly, take care of your mental health in the process mm -hmm. because if you aren't taking care of your mental health, you really can't be there for the mental health needs of your kids. So, uh, you know, keep keep doing everything you can and uh, rely on others for support where, where you need it. I, I love that. And yes, it's so important to take care of ourselves first so that we are there for our kids. Um, so that is so, so very important. I think a lot of, a lot of parents sacrifice their own health um, to take care of their kids. And then we kind of become smaller and smaller. And so thank you for that. That's really great advice. So again, Ross, I'm so grateful you could join us today. And I want to thank the parents for taking time out of your busy days to join us as well. If you enjoyed this episode and all the amazing nuggets of information that Ross shared with us, please take a quick moment to rate and review. This helps lots of parents like you find the show and feel free to share it with a friend too. Have a peaceful, positive, calm day. And that's a wrap. Thanks for joining me today on Parenting Teens with Dr. Cam. Make sure to visit my website, www.askdrcam.com. Dot com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or via RSS, so you'll never miss a show again. While you're at it, if you found value in this episode, I'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, and hey, why not share it with a friend too? Be sure to tune in to my next episode. And remember, parenting teens may not be easy, but with my help, it can be a whole lot easier than this.